Join Dennis Seagrave for Den at Ten. Well, hello again. Before I start fully chatting this week, I think I'll make a personal comment and say, Welcome back, Jimmy. I first went to Burton Albion about, ooh, I don't think really, 57, 58 years ago now, the old Eaton Park, standing on a cinder bank, there was no real terracing or anything in those days. And for the last 20 odd years, along with my lad, we've been regular attenders at home matches and one or two away games. We were struggling. Bottom of the table, seven points adrift. Then along came Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Back again. Welcome back, Jimmy, and well done. From that dire position, adrift and paid more, played more games than anybody else above us, things looked pretty dire. But in a few short weeks, four wins out of five. Couple of blank score sheets, not conceded. We're now fourth from bottom, two games in hand over most clubs above us. Welcome back, Jimmy, and thank you. Anyway, back to more mundane things, and thanks for indulging me in that little bit. It's been better weather this week. I've had a wander around in the garden, a bit of tidying up. First daffodils of the season are out and in full flower. Little clump of dwarf daffodils in the back garden, nicely in bloom. The ones in the front don't get quite so much sun, so they not quite so advanced, but the buds are there, they are coming. Tulips and that sort of thing will be next. For some reason or other, they can't manage snowdrops. They don't seem to survive in our garden. They'll last a year or so and then disappear. Over the years, we've redesigned our garden. <coughs> when we first came here, it was grass at the front, grass at the side and grass at the back. Just a little patio and then a, a grass lawn sloping down to the back fence. I mean, it was nasty to cut because of the slope and you couldn't do anything with it. You couldn't sit on it or do anything out there. So, <coughs> oh, excuse me, we decided on a complete redesign. Took all the grass up front side and back and we put it in a pile upside down on the front garden. I know while it was there, he, uh, the next door neighbour's dad came to visit and he, he said, what, what's the idea? I said, what's that pile of stuff there for? <laughs> Bless him, the next door neighbour says, oh no, Dennis, there'll be, there'll be a plan behind it. And of course there was, it all rotted down and I chopped it all up into usable soil acquired some rocks and put round it and on it and made a decent rockery out of it. Dwarf rhododendron in the top and several other herbaceous plants and shrubs there. A couple of roses. It now looks a treat. It's a year-round show. Pleased with that. 
side garden's got some shrubs in it. Little bit of two shrubs that hide the dustbins where we store the dustbins. Potted hydrangea next to the doorway. Took a bit longer around the back. We, we had a small patio, as I say, and a weird path going down to the bottom of the garden. So we took all of that up. I took all the slabs off the rear patio. <laughs> Stepdaughter's then boyfriend came to help out. He lifted three slabs and then went home with a bad back. I could give him 20 years easy, but I still outlasted him. So we relayed the patio, altered the shape of it so as we could get a swing on a pergola that Elaine has always wanted. So I, we built that and put that in place. Moved the one gate further down next to the garage so as it gave us more room to get the thing in. Otherwise we were struggling to get it to fit. Extended it all. Then we put some steps down. And just below we'd got a, a little bit of a flower bed between the next level and the patio. Sort of a raised bed between the two. Then we put in a stone circle next to a cascade and a pond. Various perennial flowers and grasses planted there. The path went down then. Down some steps to a little landing stage where we've got a old stone trough with a lion's head fountain coming out of the side of the garage into it. Just a small little landing. Then some steps down to a pathway. Beyond that is a flower bed down to the bottom gate. A little decking area that's got potted aces and bamboos on it. Elaine calls her Japanese corner. Or in the other direction, we go under an arch that I built with climbing roses on, down to my potting shed. Useful little bit that, we've got one or two plants that are, some are said are to be frost hardy, but I don't necessarily trust it. So I've got some pelagoniums in there to overwinter. One or two other plants and the Japanese bitter lemon. Only grows to about four foot high it's supposed to be frost hardy but it's only in its third year yet so I keep it in there over winter still looks green and healthy I think it survived another winter so the the older it gets the more hardy it gets I hope I mention all of this because Elaine's son is moving into a different house and he was asking advice on how to do different bits of decorating he was struggling with He's a capable lad, he knows more or less what he's doing, but he'd, he'd got something he'd not come across before. Well, we had we had a chat and sorted out what we were doing, and then he says, oh, I've got some slabs as I want to try and sort out, and I thought, oh, I've done enough of that. So we gave him some advice, and I told him the tale about somebody coming and helping me and <laughs> hurting his back. But he's a capable lad, he'll get it sorted. Talking of doing things in the gardens, some years ago my daughter and her then fella moved into a, a house and 
They asked me if I'd go round and help a hat, so I did, and they got a basketball hoop, and they said, can you put it up for us, Dad? Yeah, where do you want it? Up there, so it's a decent height for him to throw up to. We don't want it too low down. Well, I've not got my steps with me. It's all right. They went and got a, a telescopic ladder. I've not seen one before. Falls down to about three foot high and then extends to about 10 or 11 foot long. Brilliant, just the job. So I went up and was doing the job and trying to fit this basketball hoop. When I became conscious of the fact that I was slowly sliding down the wall. In their haste to help me and get this ladder out, they hadn't clicked it into place properly when they'd extended it. The catches hadn't gone in at the sides, so it was slowly refitting itself into its shortened position. Now they thought it was hilarious, but I'm standing there thinking, it's a good job I've put this ladder at an angle to the wall so that my mate is pre my weight is pressing it to the wall. Otherwise, if it wasn't so fixed against the wall, I'd have come down a lot, lot quicker and could have hurt myself. Which, in no uncertain terms, I pointed out to these people who were collapsed in laughter. But there again, I've always been called upon to help out to do things both family and other people when we had the fancy dress shop with the offices for the entertainment agency behind I used to go down there and uh, look after the different equipment make sure as the stilts were all aligned and proper and all the nuts and straps were tight and working properly do the angle grinding equipment to anybody that doesn't know these were weightlifters type belts that I bolted a panel of steel on the front that they would then use the small hand grinders to scrape up and down in front of it and shower sparks in time to music in a darkened club room. I had to make sure that the the grinding discs hadn't worn down excessively, that the metal plates weren't worn too far through so that they'd cause any problems. I also used to re-wick the fire eating equipment, the poise, the, the balls that they set fire to and swing round on chains the wheels that span while they were all alight or the sticks that they danced with I quite enjoyed all that actually particularly making up the poise there was an old dog grooming parlour at the back of the shop that was originally leased out to somebody else but when we took over it was empty and we said could we have it and I converted that into my workshop and storeroom so everything was in there all the stilts all the fire eating stuff and every time it came back from different events that we'd been to I checked it all in made sure it was all all right 
repaired anything that needed doing. But we, <laughs> funnily enough, the, the, the place is no longer there. To anybody that knows Ripley, the new Lidl's is now where our shop used to be. We used to be just up the hill, up Butterley Hill, just by the Pelican Crossing. I think our shop was about where the toilets in Lidl's are now. Happy days though, we enjoyed it doing all that. I felt, uh, felt quite pleased when I sent a new set of tackle out and watched the people performing with it. One of the laughs I had while I was doing all this was uh, obviously I was looking at the rest of the equipment and uh, in order to do the fire eating we needed paraffin to soak the equipment in, the wicks in, before we went on and performed. And also we uh, had the fire blowing where the performers would put paraffin in the mouth and then blow it over the piece of equipment that was on fire and shoot a flame into the air. Now we used to get paraffin anywhere where we could get it at a reasonable price. But this one week I was working and I said we need some paraffin. So I walked round to a local shop to pick some up. After the next event, one of the fire eaters said Where'd you get that paraffin? So I told him, he says, well, see if you can get it again. It's not got such a sharp taste as the other. It doesn't leave such a nasty mess in your mouth. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll have a go. So for a few trips, I, I managed to get this particular brand of paraffin. Then on one occasion, I went in and they hadn't got any. They got a different brand in, so... I said to one of the assistants there that I, I'd dealt with for months, what, uh, what's happened to the paraffin? They said, oh, well, if you need it, we can get some. It's just as we tried this other. I said, oh, no. I said, uh, can you get the original one back in? She says, well, if, if it's only you that needs it, we can buy a box of half a dozen and you can pick it up at one at a time when you need it. I says, oh, that's good, I says, because our fire eaters prefer the taste of that one. And she gave me a very funny look. And I said, no, I'm serious. But it was obvious as they didn't believe me. So the next time I went in, I took some of our flyers and posters with photographs of them doing the fire eating and blowing flames. And we got on quite well after that then. She often made comments about... Had the taste gone off on the paraffin and how we were getting on. When we fully opened the fancy dress shop, we did a parade round Ripley, going in and out of different shops and introducing ourselves to customers and people. I made a point of going in there in my Tudor out just to show her what we did do. Well, the Prime Minister's finally given us some glimmer of hope of how we might come back to a more normal sort of life. I can start planning now to try and do something with the caravan.
got to get an MOT for the car first to tow it. And then we've got a bit of a damp problem around the door of the van. Nothing serious, I don't think, but we want that doing first so as we can get it all sorted and we're back to normal. Then we'll start getting in some of the places that we'd booked to do last year but didn't yet do. The Canal and River Trust Museum at Gloucester Docks was high on the list. We got it all booked but couldn't go, so that'll have to go go on the list for this year. We've already done or rebooked the Jacobite Express over the what people now refer to as the Harry Potter Viaduct. We've booked that for September though, we're making sure we've got that uh, late enough in the year. We should be should be well away by then. But I did notice the other day and it did remind me of the last time we eased things that Derbyshire live casts on the internet were saying brace yourselves for more litter and mess, more chaotic parking and more destruction of the countryside as people just flock there and get on with things. I know the Lulworth estate was saying as they dreaded the easing of lockdown after all the damage and mess that was caused at Lulworth Cove last time it was eased. I'm not trying to get political here, but it's it's amazing how when these things are eased, everybody suddenly charges down as though they'd never been before, never seen the countryside before. I don't know whether it's because they can't get abroad like they usually do or what, but... It's unbelievable how people just suddenly flock to these areas. Living as I do on the outskirts of the Peak District, Chatsworth and places like that are only about 20 minutes away. It's... Uh, I can't understand why these sort of things happen. Similarly with people who have been caught just lately saying, oh, we'd gone out for a McDonald's and they've driven from London to Derbyshire to buy a McDonald's. Haven't they got McDonald's in London? Or others who queue for an hour to get into a McDonald's because it's suddenly opened in a reduced lockdown. I think it was Primark where they were queuing for two hours to get in last time. Me, I let the fuss die down and then go somewhere where hopefully there won't be too many others. Didn't mean to get political then, but I just started a bit of a moan, I know. But the countryside is precious to me. I grew up with the countryside. This is one of the reasons I do a bit of shooting and fishing. We do bank maintenance. We look after the surroundings. We get rid of invasive weeds off the river sides and the canal sides. The people that go shooting have cover crops and look after the woods to encourage more birds, not just the game birds that they shoot and send to the butchery for produce for eating. 
but they also look after the surrounding area which helps other types of birds and animals, gives them cover and food. The magazine I have is called the British Association for Shooting and Conservation. The conservation bit being very, very prominent. There's a move to stop burning moors. If we do that, it'll stop fresh heather growing, which is food crops for birds. I know where we go in Scotland. They hadn't tended the area there for years and the gorse and everything had totally overgrown, gone into a woody, tangled mass, not the bright yellow, lovely bushes you see around, but just a mass of tangled, dark brown wood with just a few green sprouts on the top. The time before last they were cutting it all back and it looks superb now. Most of Britain is managed, it isn't left to nature, it's managed to make it look like it is now. Anyway, moan over, lecture over. As I'm talking to you now, I'm just looking out of the patio door. Gardens in bright sunshine. In fact, I've been outside there this morning. It's quite warm in the sun. Very pleasant. But over the winter, for some reason or other, the birds had all disappeared from around here. Then over the last couple of three weeks, there's... A flock of starlings that's been around for the last two or three years suddenly reappeared and savaged everything out of the bird feeders I've got at the bottom of the garden. Topped them all up yesterday, hoping we could attract something else into the area. Well, I've seen half a dozen sparrows hopping around and pecking away at it. But while I'm talking to you now, Joys and delights, I can see a couple of goldfinches down there. Redheads gleaming in the sunshine as they're enjoying the little suet pellets. In fact, there's just a bit of movement on the corner and there's a wren appeared on me. Boston ivy. It's not in leaf yet, I can see all the branches on it and it's flitting about in there. We've got a weather vane with a witch on it on her broomstick at the end of the archway through from the garden to the shed and as I'm talking to you there's a, a robin just appeared on the archway next to it all watching what's happening to see if it's their turn to get down to the feeders or not funnily enough it gets quite violent down there sometimes one of the blackbirds especially gets very jealous if something comes near it while he's there. Same with the little bird bath we've got on the edge of the patio. If one bird's in it and another one decides they want a bath, there's quite a fight over it. As is usual, the bigger one usually wins. I 
I can do this today and sit and look out onto a pleasant scene. Another couple of weeks, it'll be full of footballers yelling and shouting out there. It's been bliss this last 12 months with no footballers out there, no foul language shouted, no balls bouncing into the garden and smashing into the plants. I don't know why, there's a big high fence all the way around it to kick it and get it over the fence and then all the way into our garden. There must be awful shots. Once I've told them so, if they've come round and said, can we have our ball back, please? And I said, well, if you learnt to shoot, you wouldn't have to come and fetch it back. And I'm not bragging there, I used to play football. I said to them, I'm not being cocky, but you're only playing a five-a-side match on a very much shortened pitch. Why are you belting the ball that hard to try and score a goal? Particularly when I've seen them do it, it's an empty net and all they want to do is try and burst the net with the shot. They want to power it in instead of just making sure they've scored. The whole point being they miss kick it, it flies over the fence. So if A, they've lost the ball and B, they haven't scored, what was an open goal? But they don't learn, they still keep doing it. To a degree I can put up with that, but the language and the things that are shouted across the pitch when you're trying to sit out and enjoy your evening or you've got the grandchildren around is not acceptable. The sports centre send letters occasionally saying, oh, we're sorting it out, we're sorting it out. But they never do, it'll always happen. When I used to play football, you got sent off if you use language like that. I remember one match in particular. The referee had warned us before the match because we played in a pitch, similar to this, we played on a pitch that was adjacent to a housing estate and people's gardens backed onto the, the park where the pitch was. And they'd had some complaints, so the local FA had given a blanket warning to all players not to use bad language. Well, on this one occasion, the captain of the opposing side was getting quite frustrated and he let fly a clearance from defence high and mighty up the field and it was a case of chase that you to which point the referee said off you can't do that ref foul language I'm sending you off they said it wasn't foul language, ref. I was encouraging my team. Which brings me back to a, a chap I used to work with. He was a quite a good referee in county football. Refereed some quite important matches in his time. And he always told the tale of uh, if he'd got somebody and he was sending them off, they used to say, you can't send me off, ref. And he'd just say, read the papers in the morning. You'll find that I have. For quite a few years, going back to where I started, we, uh, we went to Burton Albion with a former league referee. He, uh, he was taken ill, he doesn't go now, but uh, 
at the time we went, he drove us to several different grounds and he knew where to park. He said, I've been here before, been here before. We went to Bradford and parked more or less just across the road from the stadium. We were expecting to walk up miles to get there. But he knew a little place and he pulled in. Funnily enough, as we went into the ground, one of the stewards said, didn't you used to ref here? I remember you coming and refing. I thought, well, yeah, once you've, once you've known this guy, you don't forget him. But yes, I digress, but uh, several places we went to, he told me about what it was like in those days, refereeing and turning up at different grounds. Anyway, I've done a longer talk today than I intended. I hope I haven't bored you with me lectures and me politics i'll try to avoid that another time but i think it was just the mood i was in this morning anyway thanks for listening and i hope to talk to you again ta-da for now